0: It's Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. This is your weekly drip feed of all Fulham discussion. On this week's podcast, Ben Jarman is here. Good evening, Samuel. Jack Collins is here. Hello, listeners. And Farrell Monk is here. Hello. Jack's been to the pub. I have. Two pints, Collins.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an unrealistic expectation of how many I can consume. I think it's more like one and a half.
0: (laughs) Over the course of a day. Yeah. So we've got plenty of action to discuss. Fulham were fifth round and drowned yesterday versus Spurs at the Cottage. Kane was able to bag his second hat-trick in a month, and our mini-cup run was over for this season at least. But it's not all doom and gloom, as Fulham claimed an important 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest. And sticking with the analogy keeping our heads above water in the struggle for the top six. Uh, We'll also preview Fulham's Western Adventures down the M4 to Bristol and to Cardiff on Wednesday and Saturday, respectively. And we'll also review some of our Beat Loro predictions. I use the word beat very loosely uh, much later in the podcast. But first of all, let's start off by talking about this weekend's match against Spurs. Uh, I asked for your three-word reviews. Uh, Dom said outplayed, outclassed, destroyed. Nice and cheerful there, Don, to start the podcast. Uh, Aussie Cottager said Kane and Payne. There were lots of Harry Kane puns in there. Uh, And Jo Kim said Bloody Ball Boy.
2: (laughs) We'll come to to the ball
0: boy later in the podcast. But it was obviously a disappointing afternoon for Fulham fans. And Farrell, I'll start with you. There's no shame in losing to a top-class team. And Spurs certainly are one of the best teams we've seen at the Cottage uh, in many years. Not even just... Uh, whilst we've been in the Championship, even the Premier League as well, I was so impressed by Spurs yesterday. But were you disappointed that Fulham didn't prove a bit more of what they're capable of when they were given the opportunity in a big game like this? We've seen Fulham play some amazing football this season, and they just didn't really turn up yesterday. It was a little bit of a anti climax in that sense.
2: Yeah, a bit of a massive anti climax, um, certainly for me, because I was really expecting a closer game than it was. But being out the Premier League for as long as we have now, if you forget how good Premier League teams are, especially the ones in the top five, six in the league, um, make no mistake about it. Yesterday was all about Spurs. I don't think um, if we were playing at the top of our game, we could have got it anywhere close to them. I was just so I was just so impressed with Spurs yesterday. It was just phenomenal watching some of those players play. Especially Christian Eriksen, whose movement—I don't think the best defenders in the world could get anywhere close to him. I don't think if we were on the top of our game, we could have got anywhere close to him or Deli Ali or Harry Kane. We were exposed left, right, and centre through no fault of our own. Maybe we were a bit naive with our, our game tactics, um, thinking that we could pass around them so easily, but it just wasn't working for us. They set—they set up very to make it very difficult for us they made sure that we weren't able to kick uh, straight out and pass it out to one of our defenders and play out from the back especially from goal kicks and then we just had nothing from there being able to pl- try and play long and get it to try and get it to Cavano up top was just coming straight back over and over and over again and it, it you know the one the one disappointing thing is is that it was quite obvious we weren't going to pass it through them and we didn't change, we didn't try and change it up. But as we've explained before, we can't, we don't really have that Plan B. That Plan B does come up quite a, a lot, but you know, I was a bit, I was the slight thing that I was slightly disappointed with was the fact that we didn't try and bring on Chris Martin and try and change it up and try and give his physicality up front because it just wasn't working.
0: Yeah, Jack Fulham made um, several changes. Bettinelli replaced Button. Uh, Cabana was given the starting berth up front, and um, Malone was preferred to Cessignon. But really, the pre-match headlines were made by Spurs. Um, we did our preview of the Spurs game, not only on the podcast, but also on the website oh. and really no one predicted that Spurs would field such a strong lineup. I mean, Harry Kane was supposed to be injured, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, apparently he he had an he said afterwards that he'd had a knock on the knee and that he had been widely reported but he actually had nothing really wrong with him and he'd just <laughs> hurt his knee. So he was you know, he was obviously delighted to have played, given the the circumstances. But yeah, I think that we looked at the lineup and we looked at you know, especially in our preview, we said that there's going to be Pochettino had already stated that he was going to put in a fair amount of rotation. But I think that actually there was only three, three players in that in that Spurs eleven that don't start on a regular basis, and they were, you know, Winks who started midweek against Ghent, and Vorm and and Son. I suppose that you know are the the only ones you could maybe maybe suggest weren't weren't regulars in that Spurs lineup so that's you know and, and to have those kind of players coming in you know Michel Vorm is is a you know he made a mistake yeah once but he recovered well and he was very very solid throughout the game his distribution was excellent in in stark comparison to Bettinelli's and I think that throughout the game they just showed superior quality we were given absolutely no time on the ball and I think that's basically what it comes down to is the fact that in the championship you get an extra an extra two seconds, three seconds where you can look up, look for the pass and and play it. And we simply weren't given that. And you know, it, it came off time and time again that in someone like Kearney look up, look for the pass, and by the time he'd picked the pass, the ball had gone. Or the pass that we were trying to play over the top for Gabano was taken away every time before it even, you know, got over the top. And there was no there was no space or time to play in. And, you know, I understand why he started Cabano and I understand what he's trying to do there. We're trying to go over Spurs, especially after what we said about Sadio Mane tearing Ben Davis apart the week before, but it just didn't work. And, you know, we've we've praised Slavisa in the past, especially, and a lot of people said after Nottingham Forest, that the way that he took uh, Sigurdsson off so early on was so important and it, it changed the game because we felt like we were in control again. But he didn't... You know, seemed to have the bottle to do that again at the weekend when it, it was clear that we weren't getting any joy over the top and what we were looking for, what we were crying out for was a target man. So I suppose that that's you know what it comes down to and we, we simply were the inferior side and not since Bristol City at home in the league have we been the inferior side at the Cottage and so I suppose it's slightly hard to take in,
0: in that respect. Ben, what was Slavisa trying to do tactically with playing Cabano up front, do you think Slav was nervous to try and play Spurs at their own game? It's not something that we've been doing all season. Normally we've been having Chris Martin up top, a natural target man um, with the fast pacey attackers in behind him. Was he trying to counter what Spurs were doing or was he just trying to be bold? What was he
3: thinking, do you think? There's a case to say that Slavisa was trying to be a bit too smart with his game plan. I think that he understood that Spurs were going to boss the majority of possession. Um, and I think what he was trying to do is take advantage of the sort of slower centre-backs that they have. I mean, Vertonghen and Alderweireld probably aren't the fastest centre-back pairing in the world, but what you have to take note of is that they're probably tactically and positionally the best pairing in the world as it currently stands. And I think that's clear for the whole of the team. They're just such a well-drilled, disciplined side that regardless of whatever game plan I think we came out with, the way that we set up was slightly naive. I think the the way... Particularly, we played in wide areas and through the middle. meant that it was very easy for Spurs to play through us and play through us at ease as well. Um, notably, in in the full-back areas as well, when we were caught napping, there were times where Spurs had the ball on the left-hand side, for example, and it looked like there wouldn't be any threat. And Two or three passes later, Ericsson, through movement and through passing, would be one-on-one with the keeper um, and just made us look completely silly. I think there's that game there has completely underlined what golfing class there is between uh, a mid to top level championship team and what there is between a elite level Premier League team um, just in playing style but then also in the calibre of player that they have available to them as well and naturally the way tactically they're set up. We could have had 22 players out there versus their 11, and they still would have found space they were that good. The opening goal, and
0: you mention the lapses in concentration from the fullbacks. backs uh, the opening goal, Malone was slow to react uh, from the Trippier throw-in, and uh, we were always in trouble after that. However, uh, we've retweeted on the Fulhamish pod account this morning, have you seen how big a part the ball boy played in the goal?
2: You <laughs> should get an assist. That's three points fancy league, isn't it? Well, I'm
0: thinking he deserves a little bit of a bonus from Spurs. I mean, it's an amazingly quick thing. Trippier's is running down the wing. The ball boy just does kind of a rugby pass sideways uh, to him. But nevertheless, Malone really needs to be doing a lot better there. It's so frustrating that against a good side like this, the opening goal has come from a lapse in concentration, not mm-hmm. from an actual genuine
3: Great bit of play. As terrible as as Scotty Malone had that pass out to him from the centre back was absolutely yeah, terrible. It's Sunday League stuff. I was just about to the say this under is. any pressure from anyone, he overhit it quite blatantly, and then naturally, you know, the full-back's completely out of position, and yeah, the ball boy should get an inform on FIFA this week for that amazing <laughs> setup. But um, we should have been a bit more switched on.
1: Yeah, Malone. I was, you know, I was about to give Malone all the stick in the world, but that that fully wasn't his fault and it might have been the only thing in the game that wasn't his fault do you not but
0: think must, it's not no, completely he's, he's, not he's his
1: overgone, fault he's overgone you know the ball's been played out to him and it's been overhit, and he's tried to chase it down and then when he's obviously he's gonna be out of position because it's the ball comes back so fast mm. and spurs are so switched on that they've gone oh hang on the left back's gone there you can't be offside from throwing yeah Bam, down the wing and you know i think that yes okay you could be slightly more aware That the ball's gonna you're not gonna make the ball and you're gonna it's gonna go out and you should be tracking back. But it's not necessarily, you know, his fault that the ball was overplayed in the first place. And if he hadn't tried to get there, the fans would have turned it on him anyway. So, you know, if he's just let that ball go out without even running for it, Mm. you know, yeah, you can say, Oh, be more tactically aware, be more positionally aware. But yeah, to a point, I think that Malone has kind of a free pass there because he, the ball to play to him is so so poor.
2: Yeah, it was closest to me where the ball went out, and although there was that one or two seconds where you can see the obvious frustration in Malone's eyes, that that's all Christian Eriksen needs just to sort of absolutely bolt it down the wing and Trippier knows not even they don't even have to speak. It's a case of right, I've gone, you get, you're getting that ball and throwing it down the line for me.
1: Kieran Trippier had an absolutely phenomenal game. And it's ludicrous to think that he's not a first-choice right-back. He'd walk into 16 Premier League teams.
0: Well, he had a brilliant game. I think it was around the new year against Watford. He got given a uh, rare appearance. And... He was absolutely sublime, and I mean, it just shows the strength and depth that, even though I know Spurs played a lot of regular first-team players, but it's not exactly a given that if Spurs, Spurs had played their second-string eleven, that it would have been much easier for Fulham.
1: I suppose it was both their second-team fullbacks, and you know that's Davis and Davis and Trippier, and if they're their two, you know, second-team fullbacks, then there's a lot of a lot of potential in both of those players and. You know, you, you fail to see where the like gaps in Spurs'
3: depth are. And serious credit to Spurs as well. They understand what system of football they're trying to play that's been obviously ingrained into them by Pochettino. And they've scouted in the right way and they understand how these fullbacks are going to apply to that system. Because if you look at the television coverage of the game, the way that Eriksen, Ali, and Son, if they're out in wide positions, they come in narrow to cause havoc, then there's always an overlapping fullback. Mm. And the thing about Trippier in particular is he understands how to play in. Not only a four at the back formation, but also a five at the back formation, and act as a real continental-style wing back. And his crossing ability, as as we saw at the weekend, is is phenomenal. His crossing ability was second to none, especially
2: first time. His first-time crossing is just incredible. It is. I think it's it's a so much more difficult skill to, um, than it appears in mm-hmm. terms of being able to run on it first time, playing an, an excellent ball in. And I don't think it's any a- an accident at all that Kane every time had half a yard on our centre backs to be able to tap it in there was a couple of there was one other time that he got a disallowed goal for pretty much the same carbon copy Um and it was a case of he knew as soon as Trippier was at least five yards behind the ball he knew that right as soon as his foot is connecting with that I'm off yeah. whereas in the championship strikers wouldn't
3: be that alert to things no there was there's a, a real difference in class between the strikers which was evident on the day. Mm. But then one thing of Spurs' play that you noticed throughout the season, and they scored exactly the same goal twice against Chelsea, mm. is that they don't necessarily cross it from the byline all the time. They actually cross from closer in, although it may not feel like it makes much of a difference, but most defences aren't expecting you to cross it in from the edge of the 18-yard box or within the 18-yard box. A lot of them are expecting a pass on the floor and or a shot. And the way Eriksen crosses it in for, I believe it's the second goal. That was just on the edge of the box, and it didn't look like anyone was expecting it, other than Kane. Yeah. it's quite clearly a facet of their play they've worked on for ages. Yeah, I think
2: that's just re- repetition in training over and over and over again. Yeah. that the striker doesn't even have to think twice about what Trippier or Ericsson are going is going to do in that position.
0: Um, We discussed when the draw was made, the uh, battle of the fullbacks. Now, notwithstanding, that none of the fullbacks that we were planning on playing in the game Mm -hmm. actually did start. (laughs) So I think we had grand visions of Cessignon on the left, Fredericks on the right and Carl Walker on the right and Danny Rose on the left. And it's just totally not what happened because it was four completely different uh, fullbacks. I apologize. But we'll come on to one fullback in particular, Scotty Malone. He had a little bit of a nightmare. And I don't wish to sound like I'm totally against Scotty Malone because I know I've brought up the points again. Um, but fans seem to be wising up to his defensive vulnerabilities, and he's been brilliant at points this season going forward. I don't think um even the most ardent of Scott Malone's critics could could deny that. He scored some great goals, and he has actually put in some fantastic performances in the final third. But his main job as a full-back is to defend, and it, he seems to struggle to do that, notwithstanding that fact I think he's still tumbling around in the uh, Hammersmith M penalty box.
1: <laughs> still falling but, over,
0: yeah. Um, it's one of those that I think that,
1: considering we've just highlighted how good Trippier was at putting balls into the box,
3: <laughs> and then you
1: compare that to even going forward, which is Scott Malone's kind of forte, if you will, You know, the amount of awful crosses that he put in on, on Sunday was was something to behold in fact and considering that's the kind of foremost element of his game that's, you know, for that to be so poor and for his attacking prowess to not even be on point and then for him to be so defensively vulnerable that it it just was an awful performance all round and, you know, fair play to him, he works hard and he does, you know, peg it up and down the line a fair bit but I think that it goes to show that when we're not on top our kind of defensive... Weaknesses are so much more apparent. And because we control possession and control the ball and we look to overload teams, Scott Malone looks excellent in our system at times because he is such an attacking player. And, you know, some would say the same for Fredericks, but I think Fredericks has more of a defensive kind of element to his game. But considering how poor Malone looked when he was under the cosh and how many times he was caught out of position, I think that it's just, you know, going to show that people he isn't as good as you know maybe we've thought he was purely because of the amount he's put in
2: i think he was he was it showed over time and time again that he was exposed because of two key things one we didn't control possession and i mean quite considerably we didn't control possession and the fact that Spurs every time they got the ball, they were attacking us time and time again. We could not hold up onto the ball high up up the pitch because Cabano had no chance to even get it. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't sticking up there. It was coming straight back, and therefore Malone was getting attacked time and time again.
0: And admittedly,
3: Floyd Ayite didn't give him much no. protection on that left hand side. I don't know. I'm going to counter that. I thought he played pretty well defensively as well, considering it's not really his game. The amount he dropped back and tried to help Malone. It, it was noted especially on the commentary if after you watch the game back after being there you watch it back on the BBC they comment on how how much Aite did try and help him but I think it's a case of that Spurs right hand side until the introduction of Sessignon it, it just basically tore us apart that was where two, three of well two of the three goals came from and speaking of Sessignon I was surprised he didn't get a run out I thought it
0: would be the perfect occasion for Ryan Sessignon to try and step up do you not
3: agree? No, I don't. I've, I don't personally agree. Just simply because if that had been him from the start, and it, they would have torn. They could have torn him apart. The things it could do for his confidence. He could either see it as yes, I've I've got some work to do here before I'm a finished article, or you give him thirty minutes at the end, like Slav did. He plays well. He impresses, and it gives him a nice, nice bedding in as such to play against a Premier League team. I'm not sure I would have started him, and just because the way he played against Forest on Wednesday. No, Tuesday. Tuesday. He didn't start particularly sharply. It, it like the Rotherham game. It took him ten or fifteen minutes to get into it. It's like he has to readjust himself back up to the pace. I'm not sure if he would have been able to cope with that pace, especially seeing as Malone couldn't.
1: I think that Cessignon's arguably more defensively sound than Malone is. But I am. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we all we all are better <laughs> defensively than Scott Malone. But in terms of the way that Izzy Brown tormented him for the first 15 minutes against Rotherham, we've highlighted this, Sess gets beat quite easily sometimes. And although I think he's more positionally aware, perhaps, than Malone is in, term- in, in terms of being a defender, I think that if his confidence had been shattered at that point, we would have lost the quite cool rotation we have going, which is obviously benefiting both players in terms of how they're working. And suddenly, if we'd lost our second choice left back, it could have all gone, you know, Pete Tong. So I think that it's one of those things that he's done well. He's come on, he's done really well and people can look at him and go, okay, we've got to get Sess back in for the Bristol City game, which will obviously give him confidence and it means that Malone can have a rest and, you know, think about what he's done and sit on the naughty sit on the Northy that's step it. for a while.
2: The one thing that's impressive about Sess and John, especially looking at um yesterday was how good he is at timing his runs. That's something that Aite... Doesn't do. I don't know whether it's in his locker or not, but the amount of time Sessegnon was sort of hanging back a, a touch and just waiting for that opening and then boom, he's off. And I think that's that's how we started to stretch Spurs' defence a bit more because he was actually breaking their kind of, well, if you can call it an offside trap if they had one, but trying to break past their back line. But he was timing his run so, so well that it was kind of easy for us to find him. And that's yeah. the only time our kind it was starting to stick up top. Whereas the Aite Ay- 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 tends to sort of trying to receive it earlier yeah. and trying to take on fullbacks.
3: Yeah, Aite's Ay- a one-on-one player. He wants to get you in an isolated situation, which is where he's going to try and either get around the outside of you or, or pass off or you know, take you on. But I think that point about Session being able to release himself around the fullback at the right time is really what we should have looking, been looking to do, from the get go, as in we should have been looking to push their fullbacks backwards. And Mm. I think from the start of the game, we were very, very passive when it came to playing in wide areas and keeping them restricted. But that stems from the way we set up in the middle, having McDonald as a lone ranger in the middle there trying to contend with Ali, Ericsson and Son all by himself. While Steph, Joe and Kenny just sort of floated around, not doing a whole lot. I thought yesterday, Steph, Joe didn't play well at all. Um, And Kenny got marked out of the game for the most part. But, that you know, not strong setting or strong footing in the middle, allowed them to play into wide areas easily, and allowed them to play through the middle very easily as well. Obviously, you get people pulling into the middle to try and plug mm. the gaps, and then they play out wide, and then you get people running out wide to try and close them down as well. So it's it's very difficult to play against a team like that. One thing I don't want to I don't want to dwell
2: on it too much because I don't want to take it take it like all doom and gloom and whatnot. And Fulham were to say that Fulham are crap because you know we I don't think there's a thing we could have done yesterday to get a result. But one thing that surprised me about yesterday's performance was Aluko's performance in particular. He One thing he's really good at, he know he does know when to pass and when to hold on to it. Yesterday he held on to the ball way too much. He was taking five, six, seven, eight touches trying to take on three or four people at a time and would lose it, which is quite uncharacteristic from him. He seems to know when to play it and he seems to know when to take on the player. And he sort of will when he does take on a player, he beats him and then it's over and done with and he'll play it on. Whereas yesterday, he tried to beat one person. He did a couple of times, but then he would try and beat another person and try and beat another person and, and lose it. Yeah. I don't know whether, you know, looking back I might think that, looking at it, that he might not have had the the options available to him, but it was quite clear that he was just hanging on to the ball too much.
1: I thought it was almost like, he was like, I've played in the Premiership, I've played against these teams so... You know, give me the ball a little, a little bit. Not, you know, not and not so much in a negative way as such a, as almost trying to take the responsibility on himself and trying to shoulder it a bit too much. And I thought that it didn't, it didn't work for him yeah. necessarily. I disagree with you there, Ben. I, I didn't think Steph had particularly bad game. I thought he, you know, shocked. But I think, you know, I thought, I thought he worked hard. I thought he, you know, he made some very, very crucial interceptions at points. And yeah, he didn't have the creative license, perhaps, that mm. we've seen from him before. But I thought when it came to it, he spread play well. And he was the, the person that I kind of the team looked to without Kearney to kind of focus on. Because obviously Kearney was marked out of the game. Yeah. I think that um, something that I would have commented on was the fact that Spurs maybe out-Fulham Fulham. Yeah, And I thought that the way that he started with Wanyama and Winks instead of maybe another defensive players, you know, he could have gone with someone like Carter Vickers there in the middle. And instead of that, he went with Harry Winks, who's obviously such an explosive kind of, you know, Steph Joe figure, if you want, because he sits in that defensive partnership, that defensive pivot, but he breaks. And what happened was... Instead of Steph and Kearney being able to break out of that that three and push forward, what happened was that they we were forced backwards because they did that to us, mm-hmm. and then we kind of lost all the kind of dynamism within the midfield three that we often have. Yeah. And because McDonald was so overloaded, and I thought Kevin McDonald had, you know, a standout game for Fulham. I think if you pick a player that was, you know, Fulham's standout man yesterday, I thought it was KMac, um, but I think that because he was so overloaded, it meant that. Steph Joe was sort of tucking mm-hmm. in sideways, and then when we looked to break forward, we didn't have the options that we normally yeah. do because we didn't have the kind of dynamism yeah, no, in the like middle. This. So I think that's kind of a tactical battle, and I think that in in that response, in that kind of um, respect, Pochettino had Slav kind of checkmate, if you will.
0: One yeah. interesting thing that happened yesterday during the game, and. It sent fans in the Hammersmith end into a Barney. Was the offside in our own half. Oh, right, yeah. Now, I mean, this was completely new to me, but Jack, we had quite an interesting tweet earlier today from Richard Smith clearing yeah, up this Richard. clearing up this issue.
1: Yeah, he said, so basically the way that the offside works is that even if you're in an offside position, you give away the free kick where the ball was controlled. So, and this is from The Guardian article. So thank you to Richard Smith, who, who highlighted this for us earlier. And everyone was going absolutely nuts as in the people behind me had fully lost the plot and were like this is fixed we're walking out it was like it was it was full <laughs> on And h5 h5 went mad um so it was it was really bizarre i mean don't get me wrong the person behind me wasn't very happy for most of the game and seemed to have a real vendetta against deli ali i'm not quite sure where that was but yeah he, he really wasn't pleased about this i thought at the time that it was an offside and that we'd been given the ref had given ten yards on it for complaining about the ball, and I thought that was the. And then I was like, because I saw the ref move, he he rolled the he rolled his hands and moved the ball forward, and I was like, oh, okay, I see. I he thought he was giving
0: it. a knock on. He kind of did that thing with his yeah. hands so he does that.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: as, a, as a former referee, go on, oh fam. here we go, we got the cards out. Our famous I mean, in in where I where I sit, <laughs> celebrity refs over. There, where I sit in the Johnny Haynes stand, it was equally apoplectic in there. It was whatever and I'm kind like my my brother I sit next to whenever there's a questionable decision he sort of asks me and then he tells me I'm lying especially if the decision has gone against me so I I kind and you know there are people around me that listen and they tell me that I'm lying as well and you know you're just saying that just to wind us up and whatnot so I kind of just given up on trying to explain the referee's decision at the time um well since a good few years now so Um, At the time, I kind of just sat there quietly.
1: (laughs) The response that Richard got, which I really did laugh at earlier, was I said, you know, thanks, we've been looking for something like this to talk about, we'll talk it through. And he said, I got abuse at halftime for saying that the referee was right But I showed them the article, and the response to that was, can't believe the Guardian, mate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's move on to slightly happier matches. Uh, Nottingham Forest uh, in the week. It was Valentine's evening at the cottage, uh, and Fulham were loved up with a 3-2 victory over Nottingham Forest. They've been slightly inconsistent, uh, but it was a disastrous start from Fulham. Uh, Sigurdsson, uh, as Jack mentioned uh, earlier in the pod, Uh, He kind of looked like he'd barely ever kicked a football in his life uh, in that first 20 minutes. It was quite bizarre how poor he was. I think Sigurdsson is a talented footballer, but uh, it was very, very weird. Uh, He had a dreadful opening 20 minutes. Slav made the changes, uh, and we were 1-0 down uh, after a wonderful finish uh, from old boy uh, Pajtim Kasami. Uh, Afterwards, he admitted that Fulham has a special place in his heart. It was definitely a well-taken finish, wasn't it? It was a great goal. He's got <laughs> a good record for yeah, that, though, hasn't exactly. he? Yeah,
1: exactly. He is. He is quite adept at putting volleys into the far corner of the net. I've heard. So yeah, that was good. But it was, um, yes, yeah, Sigurdsson. I, I don't really know what to say. It, it was one of those moments where it, it was almost I was lost for words. And as you can tell, obviously, as listeners, uh, I, that doesn't happen very often. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't. I really didn't know what to say. It was. It was one of those things that just seemed like. He'd come back in, you know, after obviously quite a long period out and had just decided that he didn't he didn't like it anymore. Or he didn't fancy it anymore. It was very strange.
0: I mean, we criticised Slav for not having a plan B yesterday. Well, not necessarily we, but Fulham fans did criticise Slav yesterday. Yeah, and, right- um, and
1: rightly so, in fairness. Yeah, but
0: you got to give him credit. He made a very early
3: and a bold change. Sigurdsson off for Maddell and it was a change that reaped instant rewards. That whole change, I think, sort of galvanised the team. And I was speaking to my friend who we, who we went to the game with on Tuesday. And we're saying that as soon as he took Sigurdsson off and put Madel in, the confidence in the team just upped itself probably by 50, 60%. Because Madel gets in there and he's a big talker. He's an instructor. He instructs Sess what to do. And obviously Sess is still only 17 years old or still struggling. 16. 16, sorry. Still a bit naive. Still a bit green around the gills. And... There were there were there were times when what?
0: That's a lovely phrase. Yeah.
3: Can you edit that out? <laughs> I don't know. It's hundred percent staring in. Okay. All right. So that's, that's the, we found a, the title of the podcast. It, he's, right a right? Great, he's a great communicator. He's obviously very, very adept at playing out the back is what that's where we, our first goal came from, is his brilliant ball out to the out to the flank and then the attack started from there and we scored. And the thing about Maddow is he offers a lot of solidity and a lot of communication where Sigurdsson doesn't. And I really think that's what changed the whole dynamic of the team. I also think... Well, I'd like to put this across because it's something I hugely admire about Slav is that he has the he has the audacity or slash... You know, he backs himself a lot to make changes very early on. And it's something that we, ha- we haven't seen from a lot of managers over here, full stop. And in Spain they really, really admire managers for having balls, for, for want of a better word. Cojones. They, they always tell you about the <laughs> cojones of, of a manager and, and how they build their teams and how they're not afraid to to make challenges or, or how they're not afraid to take risks and withdraw people and withdraw star players. And I think that's what Jukanovic has brought to, to the club. He's, he's clearly not afraid to make the challenges and the team respect that. And they rightly up it as soon as they saw Sigurdsson going off. I think
1: there's an another point to be had in, in in a more analytical sense there that Sigurdsson continually played the ball back to Button mm. and you know much as I'm a and I am actually a Button kind of fan in in, in the loosest sense of the word fan but I pre- I'd argued to prefer him to Bettinelli, but he wasn't very good at getting the ball away on Tuesday night and he he did have a bit of a mare in that and he kept playing the ball back into danger and as soon as Maddle came on the ball from the centre-back stopped going back to the keeper and started going out wide and out to the wings. And, and Maddell can pick a pass mm. in a far superior way, I think, to Sigurdsson, who seems a bit nervous in that kind of respect. And considering Sigurdsson did this again against, was it Sheffield Wednesday perhaps, but he he gave the ball away a lot early on and he did eventually settle into the game in, in that respect. But... Obviously, at Forest, the, the, the decision was made to pull him. But in terms of the way that the ball was then played out from the back, it was more as if Kalash was there. And and Madel does offer that kind of similar ball playing. I'm happy to put my foot on the ball, look for the pass and play it. That didn't seem to be in play with Sigurdsson and Reem. And I think that's so important because it comes back to that kind of pivot idea we were talking about against Aston Villa and it, because the ball kept going sideways in that game and it kept coming back to the keeper and then we looked under pressure all the time and actually it's something the Spurs forced us to do on Sunday they not through anyone's fault in terms of there was no pass available so the ball kept going back to the keeper and what happens then is you feel like you're under pressure because the keeper ki- keeps kicking the ball away and the ball then keeps coming back at you and when Maddell came on it sort of calmed everyone down and we were like right we can play football and keep the ball again then and Something that, obviously, Pochettino did his homework on in that respect was not allowing us to do that. And then, obviously, we didn't have a kind of second option. But against Forest, the introduction of Maddell completely changed the way we were playing football.
0: So, as you mentioned, um, it was a lovely play from Sessignon down the left, found Kearney to make it 1-0, and then Lucas Piazon uh, with a lovely second goal. He was a bit unfortunate not to find himself with a starting berth, or at least a appearance off the bench against Spurs after that performance against Forrest. Yeah, I
1: thought he was really, really good against Forrest and I thought that goal was an unbelievable slalom, you know, snake-like, some would say, uh, from Lucas Piazon <laughs> as he, you know, slithered through the Nottingham Forest defence and the finish was was delectable, as they say, and I thought that it was a really, really lovely <laughs> piece of skill to start things off, and the way that he just sort of looked up and went for it is kind of... Uh, something that we haven't necessarily seen from him or you know we've seen him as a you know a dribbling kind of player but not with that much incisiveness and for him to therefore just drive through the center of their defense and and then put the ball away with such a plumb was was really nice to see and it's something that i hope that we can see more of from Piazon because he's obviously got the talent um and I'd, I'd like to see some more of that kind of directness from, from our young brazilian
3: i think he worked exceptionally hard as well and to be fair I don't think you can really expect anyone to be doing snake moves other than Chris Martin at Fulham. So there you go. <laughs> um, but no, um, in terms of his work rate and getting forward and, and the talent, it's, it's certainly there. And then we've got a question we'll probably pose later as who's ready for the Premiership? And I think he possibly could be. Um, the only thing I didn't like about his performance, which isn't his fault against Forrest, is that he was moved to right wing back in the second half and really offered very, very little. He he's clearly more comfortable when he's further up the pitch, expressing himself that way and running at fullbacks rather than having to worry about defensive duties. He looked completely out of the out of his own. A fish out a, of water. A fish out of water. More more fish puns. Um, but yeah, he 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 didn't really look comfortable there at all, and I think that's where we sort of lost control a little bit in the second half when we switched to a five-three-two against Forest they sort of played for us very easily and got out wide easy as well.
0: Well yeah they scored uh, quite early on in the second half. Is it
1: Ben Brereton? Yeah, Brereton, Brereton yeah. Brereton. He's an academy graduate yeah. It was a
0: lovely header. Yeah. I mean header, admittedly yeah. Tim Ream potentially um shouldn't have let it go over him but still no. to he didn't have barely had any time to react to it because he'd probably imagined Tim Reen would have got to it then to adjust your body mm. uh, and to head it from that far out um, lovely technique and then Cabano comes off the bench I'm going to give the winner to him I think that it seems very harsh to that's, go down as a kind jack of you.
2: that is kind that's of you kind of. it's, it's an own goal it's going a mile wide yeah. I think it might be even going for a throw in if it could have got that far really I mean-
3: board, mate. <laughs> right, yeah.
2: calm down he did alright <laughs> I well, see. Yeah, fair play to him for getting there but it's an own goal Really, really? I not I'm not gonna, ar-
0: going to argue with who, decide, goals who, panel who decides dubious it.
1: Dubious goals panel, yeah. Dude, I, I don't even know champ- if there has one in the yeah. championship. I think can they afford know, one? Probably not. We're getting goal line technology. That's I mean, exciting. how can they?
0: T- how can they tell, given that um, there's only one camera angle and it's from the middle, and certainly from that camera angle, Ivan decides on the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Cabano came off a bench, uh, and for the second time in, in just a few days, was very influential Correct. in the winning goal. I think the other one was a Dan Burn. No, oh, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was. Uh,
1: he also was very good on Tuesday, as, as as opposed to Sunday. So he he was he was very lively and looked like he was going to break through a lot of the time on. And he was very unlucky actually not to score in the last minute. He did he did very well to. You know, get away to accelerate away and mm, and just to, went he, wide, yeah, yeah, he, he put in, it was actually quite a good attempt at a finish as well. So um I'm going to give some credit to Niskins Cabano because I actually think he's been quite good and I think he got a bit of a rough ride on Sunday playing out of position and mm. it probably wasn't something that he you know requested. I can't imagine him going up to a. Uh, Slavita and be like, oh, go on, Gaff, stick me up front. Well, like a classic <laughs> Sunday
0: League defender. Yeah, go yeah, on, exactly. Gaffer, last twenty, stick me up top. So I think that he he got a lot
1: of a bit of a rough ride from the Fulham fans, you know, at points because he was offside a lot and. We discussed, you know, earlier that it wasn't necessarily always his fault. He definitely made quite a lot of good runs, and people were slightly delayed in their in their him. But I think that Cabana is going to be an important player for us, and I'm I'm really really enjoying the fact that he's starting to get into his stride.
3: I think there's a wider issue around about how we're setting up in these last few games against Wigan, against Forest, and against Spurs. We've basically started without a recognised striker, and the the form the the performances have obviously not came in as a result they've not been as strong we've not looked as as good going forward we haven't looked as free-flowing and connected as we do when we have martin in there so for me that's the case to say bring him back even though he is a little tiny bit of a snake
0: do you have any idea farrell why you think slavisa isn't opting for martin
2: um no in all honesty uh, it's uh, no, the, o- the only thing that i can actually think of is that he thinks that Martin isn't going to be here next year and therefore I might as well plan for next year in the sense that I'm going to have a different striker. Martin isn't going to be my guy.
0: But does it matter that he's not going to be here next year? He was never going to be here next year for most of this season and we're still chasing, well, we were chasing the quarterfile of an FA Cup and we're still chasing top six of the championship. I just can't believe why Slav wouldn't, go for Martin if he thought that he was the best option.
1: I suppose it comes down to the fact maybe that if we get to the playoffs, he might not be here. And, you know, we haven't cleared this up, so we're not, you know, no one's 100% sure what the drill is with this, but we're not sure that Martin can play in the playoffs if we get there. And I suppose that if Slavis is sort of maybe thinking you know, what's the point in getting to the playoffs if we haven't got a squad that can get on with it without him there? So I suppose that maybe he saw Wigan and Nottingham Forest. I don't, you know, I can't, you know, I thought he was quite poor against Wigan and also he got a very poor reception when he went off, and, as we discussed last week. So maybe the fact, what, what Slavis is trying to do is go to the fans, you know, here you are, this is, you know, we, I won't play him then and see it, see how we get on. And considering we did well against Forest, you know, especially at points, then we looked slick and, and complete at times, that... Maybe that he was just going, Okay, we can do this without Chris Martin. But I think that overall we need to see that kind of hold up play back unless we're going to go for the sort of pure pace and power front four that involves having Syriac up there as a number nine.
0: Okay, well, before we move on to the two games this week, uh, Bristol City and Cardiff City, just a quick um, plea: if you are listening on iTunes, uh, please go give us a rating on there if you haven't already. It really helps the podcast to uh, get further if we have a good rating. Uh, preferably only a five-star rating. That would be uh, that would be kind of you. So, uh, yeah, if you use iTunes, uh, please uh, sign into your iTunes account uh, and give us a really quick review on there. Even if you haven't got time to write something just go on there and click five stars
1: It'd also you should comment on who's your favourite podcaster
0: let's not start this battle <laughs> so the first game is on Wednesday night down at Ashton Gate against Bristol City now last season our trip to Ashton Gate was very very enjoyable 4-0 up at half time However, our most recent games against Bristol City were not enjoyable at all. So much so that we actually named one of our podcasts Bristol city Itus" after a terrible three days where we lost to Bristol City twice in two days. Now, Bristol City back then were a slightly different proposition. They were a top six side, albeit it was only September. They were looking very, very good, though. And I think they were looking a little bit like dark horses to be in a playoff push. Um, things have not gone to plan at all since then. They're languishing just above the relegation zone, I believe, at the moment. And it really becomes uh, a must-win game for Fulham on Wednesday night uh, if we're to make up some of that ground on the top six. And there were some favourable results going our way over the weekend that Fulham can make up some ground. Yeah, for once, we've finally got some results go our way. Apart from Sheffield Wednesday, who just seem d- destined to win every single match.
2: Mm. Complete opposite to how uh, Bristol City were after they beat us, because they went on to lose pretty much 300 games in a uh, row, didn't they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> They've won one in 17. Yeah, as far yeah. as I can work it out, well, uh, one
2: they, in 17. Yeah, and it, it was their last one. I think they beat Rotherham, and that's
3: hardly like what an achievement. Yeah, and yeah. the one
1: before that was Blackburn.
3: Yeah, so really they had
1: poor goes. They've they really gave the
3: manager a new four-year contract. Um, Half or four games into that 14-game losing streak they had, they then won one and then have gone on to, I think, just lose two and draw one, potentially. Um, But you you can't... Tammy Abraham hasn't stopped scoring. And for someone that gave us a huge amount of trouble back in September, we still have to be very, very wary of him. Isn't he injured? Uh, He's just... He made his
1: first appearance off the bench on the weekend in the 2-1 loss to Leeds United...
3: Well, that's good timing, isn't it? Yeah, just, <laughs> just, just back in time
1: to torment us.
3: So you can count on them beating us. Right, yeah, OK. Yeah. I mean, when when um, we played them
2: first time in the League Cup, Tammy Abraham came off the bench and he completely changed the game. Yeah. I mean, them. it
0: was like they brought on... A Premier League player,
2: wasn't it, in that game? It was unbelievable, the golfing class. It seemed to be that evening between him and everyone else on the pitch. His dynamism up front just gave us so many problems. We just couldn't live with him at the time. I mean, we were finding our feet as a a team at the time. Um, But uh, when he was on that kind of form, he was pretty much unstoppable when he came on.
0: Who would you choose um, to play for Fulham on Wednesday night, Farrell, if you were the manager?
2: What to play up front or...
0: Uh, generally, like, what changes would you make given what you've learnt from the Spurs, Forest and Wigan games? Um,
2: I don't think that we should change too much. I th- One thing I, I would like to point out that I think it would show a, th- what the character of the team is and whether we can push the, for playoffs where we've, you know, we've had a bit of a setback yesterday, but it would show good character for our team to come from that and play well again because... We have been playing really well for the past two or three months, pretty consistently. I can't really point out a particular performance where I go, we played badly that day, regardless of the result. Um, we've been really consistent. And I just hope that Slavica doesn't make any knee-jerk reaction. He doesn't seem like the manager that would make any knee-jerk reactions to, and changing the style of play or changing the uh, changing the personnel too much. We kind of have similar players that can play in a lot of positions. So that's really good. So hopefully the character of the team will really show on Wednesday evening that they turn up, we play the way that we have been for the past two or three months and get a result hopefully. But in terms of the starting eleven, I do, I do kind of wish Chris Martin comes back because he has been the focal point of the team for the past two or three months apart from the past few weeks.
1: Yep, yeah, agreed. I'd quite like to see Aluko get a rest. I think it might be time to give Sean a. a little a little a little nap maybe come off the bench and know, obviously Ryan
0: Frederick should be back and actually although uh, we I don't
1: know if I'd bring Frederick straight back in Odoy has been you know pretty decent he's had three very good games in Frederick's absence and I know Frederick's pace is such a like potent weapon but you know I, I don't know how I don't know how I'd feel if I was Odoy. And I played really well for three games, especially, you know... Um,
2: he was probably the the one person at the weekend whose passing was actually quite assured.
1: Yeah. He, he looked very comfortable. He looked, you know, quite assured on the ball. And he has done throughout this kind of three-game run. And I, I don't know... Can't enjoy play left-back? He can. Um. And I was thinking this, but maybe you know, you'd know you be a bit harsh not to start Seth after but he But so came can on. Tim
2: Ream, he can play left back.
1: <laughs> we haven't seen Odoi at left back though and that is what he kind of signed as.
3: Yeah, he is a uh, naturalised left back and that's where he played most of his time in, in Belgium as le- as a left back. I think I'm inclined to disagree slightly with Farrell. Sorry about that mate. It's alright. It's, over... it's not the first time, it's not the last time. <laughs> over, the, over the past few weeks I think I've, I've our performances on a whole, whilst we've still managed to win, have steadily just came off the ball slightly. And I think it's just a testament to how small the squad is right now because we have a core of about 15 or 16 players. And in the midfield, other than Parker, you probably look at him and think, is there anyone that can replace the box-to-box ability of Steph Joe? That dynamism, there probably isn't. Is there anyone that could possibly replace Kenny in the 10-roll with that, with that guile and that, that creativity he has? Maybe not. Maybe you could probably Ryan put Piazon <laughs> probably put Piazon in there, but then I agree with Jack entirely. I think it's about time Aluko got a rest. I mean, we picked him up as a free agent. He's probably going to get to that point now where you think he needs a, a game or two on the bench just to refresh himself, and then we reintroduce him. So it would be nice to see uh, maybe a front three of Aite, Piazzon, Syriac, and He's, then with Martin up with, top as well.
2: With Kenny and Aluko, I'm, I'm guessing those are the only two people that have pretty much played every minute of well, not every
3: minute, but pretty much every game k as well has played pretty much every game i, can't I think remember at the start of the season he was playing. a bit in and out yeah i thought no, he was he, he was in but he it was parker that he was alongside and we, was we, we had a lot of podcasts where we were saying get bloody parker out and put in someone else who can go box the box and let there be a runner and let there be a creator we and did then, question then maybe
1: k as well going out at the time i remember thinking yeah. we weren't sure which of the two we'd have replaced yeah um, but pivot I feel problem, like
0: pivot problem, pivot
3: problem. I feel
1: like that's been addressed, and K Mac is yeah. clearly the the superior shield.
0: And then so- on Saturday, uh, we head over to Cardiff City Stadium to face Cardiff uh, for the second time in 2017. And once again, it feels like we're playing a different team. Back then, it was a very out of form Cardiff City who were in the relegation zone at the time. I know this was in the Cup. Uh, but since then, Neil Warnock's taken them on a brilliant run of form. And I think they won in, they won 5-0 on Saturday, albeit against Rotherham. But beating anyone 5-0 is impressive. And that's not going to be that easy. That would be a big win if we can get three points over there.
3: Yeah, they're banging form, as you, as you rightly said, and then they've got a few key players as well if they're coming back into form. I think Warnock has this really strange ability that when he, came, when he comes into a team, he can always use the, the free agent market very well. And They picked up um, Junior Hoylet, and they picked up Sol Bamba. And whilst Bamba is ageing a little bit, he's obviously shored up their defence somewhat, um, and Hoylet has got quite a good production um, out, off the wing. And then you've got the likes of Kadeem Harris, who's scoring and assisting quite a lot recently, and he scored a couple at the weekend. I don't know if it was a couple, it was at least one. Um, And he's also got a couple of assists there. You always have to be very, very careful of Peter Whittingham and his Mm. bloody ability from set pieces. He's very, very good at dead ball situations.
1: And Kenneth Zahor, who was a uh, bit part player under Paul Trollope, has suddenly come back into the four. He's got four in five. He's actually the second cousin of Didier Drogba.
2: Wow, <laughs> knowledge they are
1: random fact for today's Fulhamish podcast great he's, random um, fact though yeah he's in he's bang in form and he really does look like a bit of a handful mm. uh, and especially you know with them having those kind of players around you know you look at the goals against Rotherham Hoyle, as you mentioned mm. he got one uh, uh, Craig Noon got one who loves scoring against Fulham he loves, scoring. He loves and he always seems to score screamers he scored about three screamers in five <laughs> seasons against Fulham and yeah, and you know, the, and, and Kazim Harris, like you were saying, so there's, there's clearly quite a lot of talent there in, in Warnock's squad. And he does have that kind of annoying, never say die attitude where, you know, when you're a better team than someone and they still won't let you win. Yeah. Mm. I, I find that very frustrating.
0: Okay, well, just before we finish this evening's podcast, uh, we've just got time for a couple of your questions. Uh, Secretary Jack, uh, the inbox, the mailbox is full, the post bag is brimming.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions going in, so thank you for all your questions. And if we don't deal with them now, we will surely deal with some more next week, so please do keep them coming. The first one we're going to go with today is Alex at PurePower underscore, who said, which of our current players are good enough for the Prem?
0: Hmm, Interesting, and obviously quite a poignant question after yesterday's game. Uh, Lots of people making the assumption that, well, we didn't win yesterday, therefore our players aren't good enough for the Premier. League it's forgetting the fact that we have beaten two Premier League teams
3: at home this season ben what's your take on this um I think the easy answer is to say Thomas callas outright is probably good enough to beat in the Premier League but I think there's a there's a wider you know thing to thing to take into account here is is the the adaptation of the of the players when they get into the Premier League and the adaptation of to the style of play that is the Premier League in in a more stand offish tactically switched on rather than the gut style and blood of the championship who can adapt to that um and and find space and find influence so I think someone perhaps uh, a piazon could could do that um I definitely think Aite can because I love the guy but that's that's my answer
0: I don't think Chris Martin could no in the I, same I way that McCormack
1: you. couldn't either. Well oh, Glenn Murray has gone up and scored goals though. I don't think Glenn is that much better than Chris Martin.
0: I wonder if Chris Martin could a couple of years ago.
1: Maybe. I I, He's I think not even Chris old, Martin. I think Chris Martin would do a job in the Premier League. I don't think he'd be excellent, don't get me wrong. but I think he'd you know he'd hold up the ball for you. You know, and, and, and plenty of players that have carved out a career from just doing that. You know, Kenwyn Jones played in the Premier League. I don't think Chris, jo- Chris Martin's any th- that much worse than Kenwin Jones.
3: Shouts out Kenwin the Penguin. That's, <laughs> That's his nickname. <laughs> obviously, a...
1: Steph Joe could. Steph Joe could perform in any league anywhere. Steph
3: Joe... Steph Joe's better than Modric. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> ben looks apoplectic over here. He hasn't got, got words to say. What about Ryan Fredericks? Do you think that he could cut it? He's got pace, which obviously... Mm.
2: um no. I'm going to go with no, because uh, he he's so one-dimensional at the moment. I believe he probably could be with the right coaching. Uh, Ben's made the funniest face <laughs> at me ever. Um, but I, he, he needs to he needs to add a left foot. He needs to add something else and be able to cut inside, because I just think he gonna, he's going to get found out
3: through Premier League defenders.
1: Maybe he could learn to do a step-over. That'd be exciting. <laughs> and then he'd be able to burn players with a step-over or a flip-flap.
3: Yeah. I actually think he would be okay in the Premier League just because of his similarities. Although a very, 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 very poor man's Carl Walker, mm. he could do a job. Simply because of pace and the power he has and his crossing ability is good as well. And Walker's expanded his game so could Fredericks
1: I think maybe one of those things that Walker's exceptionally good in a very very attacking Mm. team that dominates players and maybe Fredericks could do the same I don't know how he'd cope in a team that were constantly under the cosh Mm. for example someone like Burnley who Mm. are quite happy to sit back and soak up pressure I don't think Fredericks could thrive in that kind of environment but I think he might be able to in a Tottenham-esque yeah. team where yeah. they you know, I obviously agree. have so much run of, the, run of the ball down the wings.
0: Uh, and then um, another question coming in, Jack, that is on a similar vein. Yeah, we
1: actually have two quite similar questions I've, I've, I've discovered. The first one we're going to go for is White Noise. You know, shouts out to White Noise. Big up White uh, Noise, yeah, actually. We're, a, Thanks, well, we're, we're huge fans Thank of you. White Noise. So he says, what impact will not going up this season have?
2: Ooh, good question.
0: I always I think about this quite a lot, this particular question, because I'm always torn in two minds as to is going up better now or is it, um, you know, or would we still be able to challenge next season? Because part of me thinks actually going up now could be quite disastrous if it all went wrong you know you see teams like derby county come up and actually that set them back that time when they got promoted too soon but then again i feel like comparisons between derby and fulham are a little bit unfounded because i think they were so unready um for the top flight but also from an infrastructure point of view like will the riverside project go ahead if we don't go up um and you look at teams like Blackburn and Bolton two teams that have all and Charleston as well three teams mm. that I've always thought are in a similar league to Fulham in terms of the size of the club and also they've got a lot of bigger teams round the corner now I know we've got a slightly different ownership situation to them but does not going up mean that in a few years you end up like one of those in league 1 because
2: eventually the money runs out that's that's what i worry about there is a huge risk about going to the premier league there is no doubt about it other you know otherwise you wouldn't see the amount of teams that get relegated in the premier league and either go down to league 1 or almost get relegated straight away i mean fulham's not ex- exempt from that that first season was a bit tricky not last season was an even even more squeaky bum time um <laughs> but i think the the one key difference is is that i think fulham still have that quite quite good thing about themselves that we seem to have a way of attracting good players a lot of the time we seem to have we seem to have a way of attracting players that Blackburn and Charlton don't seem to do they uh, you know how in the hell did were we able to get Berbatov to start off with uh, love him or hate him and even now that we're in the in the championship I you know one of the hot prospects in in the championship uh, was Tom Kearney and he was sought after by a lot of clubs, and he came to Fulham. And Fulham finished seventeenth that year. I think yeah. Blackburn finished above us. Yeah, he did. Um, we managed to get you know we managed to get Ross McCormack, who was uh, obviously coveted by a lot of a lot of clubs at the time. Aluko must have had offers all over the championship, and I think that does stand us in better stead, especially when we go up to the Premier League. If if big if we go up to the Premier
3: League, I think Sammy has a has probably nailed the whole question in, in that first response. In terms, especially in terms of the infrastructure of the club, we've there were some really nice articles about the club over the weekend, especially in terms of production line that we currently have, the academy status, and that sort of thing. And one thing we've done really well over the past couple of years, with obviously with the investment of Khan, which I'm not sure why there's still a question over this guy's intent because he clearly does bankroll the club within the constraints of FFP to an extent. But the fact that we've we've got premier class academy we are starting to reap the benefits of of that of of that off the field investment I think now in terms of our on-field squad I mean like first first team squad we're now an established championship side we have talent that is top end championship level it's a case of do we do what Burnley though done a couple of years ago again the comparisons of Burnley comes out here because they went up uh, they went up they tried their darndest to stay up, and they couldn't do it. But then they bounced straight back, and now they look ready. They now have, you know, got the the um, investment they needed. They've got the structure in place. They have an identity. If we'd done that, if we, and we came straight back down, could you see the squad getting gutted again? I'm not sure mm. we would, because we've got we would have had basically the same player base. So I think it's a case of we we look to go up this year. If we don't, it's huge progress made anyway, going from mm. just above the relegation zone to just outside the playoffs. If anything, cement this squad now, make as many signs as you can, like of like Calas, et cetera, and gear us up for another push. And if we don't get it, we still got a quality squad there for next year.
2: Yeah. The one thing that, you know, if we do go up and then unfortunately go back down again, I just don't want to see the same mistakes that we made last time we got relegated, you know, completely change everything what the club was about. I mean, Burnley did the, almost the the right way they stuck with the same guy that got got them promoted the first time round they kept a lot of their core players that got them promoted who knew, knew how to get out the championship and then have, give it another go and they quite rightly Ben says that they, they're they now they're almost there and they're playing so much better now in the Premier League Yeah you think that
1: the only worry you have is that do, do the squad want to play in this division again and especially the players we were just discussing you know your Piazzon's your Hansons, your they do they want to stay if we don't go up and do we risk losing those kind of talents if we don't get promoted this year and I think that's a wider question and not one that we can necessarily answer, you know, it's not we can't be like, oh, yeah, they'll stay. I think that Kenny will probably get handed the captaincy at the end of the season, as in the full club captaincy. And that might be a, a factor in him staying. But, you know, if you're looking at being a lower end Premier League club, you've got to be looking at the likes of Piazon or Aite or Calas. Or, you know, then and you're looking to them for build your own squad. Then they're obviously players that could probably cut it, especially at the lower end of the Premier League. So that's the kind of come see, come of it, I suppose. That If you, looked, you look for what we can keep and if we can keep this squad and build on it then maybe it's not the worst thing to not go up this year but I think that's the end I've got one one word question to finish things off it's from uh, Blame Draymond Mr Nick who uh, he says gun to head. what player should re- Fulham and realistically be looking to sign for next season one player gun to head Sammy
2: I'm still going to say it Wells
1: Naki Wells Harold.
2: Mm, haven't got the foggiest <laughs> Well, that is I've hard. not heard of him no, yeah, no, he, Paul haven't he, he, got the foggiest
0: <laughs> Ben literally looks like he's got a gun pointed to his head Looks in <laughs> agony right now
2: <laughs> What unknown
3: Segunda so, B player so, have you got So many players coming into my head right now um, Realistically I'd love to get Tammy Abraham on loan For the next year That's a great
0: shout I'd
3: go for Alex
1: Smithies The QPR keeper
0: I think he's above us
1: yeah, but I mean, I think that's one of those things where that would be a good keep, a, a good you know top level championship keeper, and ideally I'd say David Stockdale, but obviously he's going up to the Premier League anyway. So I'm going to say Smithies, and I think that could be the difference between going up next year in an automatic spot and having the same kind of drill.
0: Also signing Alex Smithies. Banter. Yeah, well, funny. <laughs> well, funny. We Queen Star Rangers would, would be fuming. Well, we got Button. Yeah, but they weren't that bothered, were Let's they? Let's just sign for <laughs> all of our
1: rivals' goalkeepers. Yeah, exactly.
0: Good. Well, um, just before we end this week's podcast, and I know it's been a bumper, but we just need to quickly address the elephant in the room. So uh, you may have seen on the BBC Sport website uh, last week, so Ben, Jack, and myself uh, were giving our predictions. We we tried to beat Loro. Um I don't think we came anywhere near uh, to beating Laura. Just thought we could go back through a few of our predictions. This is what we said uh, for the Fulham Spurs game.
3: I think it's going to be a really close game of two footballing identities. Both teams love to keep possession. Both teams got really exciting fullbacks. Very close game. I think we'll probably go for a one all draw and a replay back at
1: White
0: Hart Lane. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Admittedly, this is when we thought that Spurs might put our slightly weaker lineup. But
1: yeah. is actually conned us here so I feel like we've got we've got some sort of background in being able to give ourselves a reasoning he's hustled us yeah we've actually been done by Mauricio Pochettino much like Fulham actually <laughs> so do you
2: think Pochettino saw your prediction yeah and then decided well I'm not having any of that yeah that's Harry exactly Kane, what I thought Harry Kane shake off that knee injury you're starting it's feasible it's feasible
0: uh, then next we said um, Huddersfield Man City we went for 2-1 to Man City Um Actually, Huddersfield did slightly better in that one than we expected. They've got a very credible replay back at the City of Manchester. They could have won it, actually, Huddersfield.
2: Yeah, Yeah, fair
1: play to Huddersfield. They did really, really well.
2: Man City looked dire. Yeah, Aguero had one chance at the start, but he looked kind of sluggish. They were just, as in, Huddersfield actually
1: defended magnificently Mm. and marked them out of the game. So fair play, shout out to the Tykes. No, the Terriers, the
0: terriers. Who, are, uh, terriers. <clears throat> who are on a magnificent run, actually. Getting your South Yorkshire clubs mixed they up. They actually
1: uh, are looking very, very, very good for snipping into them automatic spots at the end of the thing, especially with Newcastle and Brighton slightly stumbling. <laughs>
0: Uh, Then we went uh, Middlesbrough-Oxford. We actually got the result right on this. Uh, We went for a 1-0 win to Middlesbrough. Uh, It was the same difference, but it was 3-2 to Middlesbrough. Uh, We called the upset correctly for Millwall versus Leicester. We said 2-0 to Millwall and uh, ended up being 1-0. Still no perfect score, though. That's where the big points roll in. And then this is what we said for Wolves versus Chelsea. And the last game on Saturday is
1: Wolves against our neighbours down the road. Chelsea, what do you reckon, boys?
3: Yeah, you couldn't look further than Wolves on this one, could no, you? No, three, no, three 0 Wolves. Can't yeah, see past it. Three 0 yeah, exactly. Wolves for us. Comfortable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, we it, can dream. It, this didn't translate called... quite as well, did it? In writing. Yeah,
1: that's what I was saying. We got called out on this, but actually, it was quite funny what we said. I thought, and yeah. then and then suddenly, like we were getting called out left, right, and centre by Chelsea fans. who were like, it's embarrassing that you <laughs> you won't <laughs> you won't even predict a Fulham win, but you project a Chelsea. Like, I was like, obviously, it was a joke, mate. Like, you, come on now, like. You, Obviously, we don't. Now we look like we know nothing about football. Next, <laughs>
2: next time, just say twenty-one yeah, nil, and exactly. then they might think it was a joke. Yeah, well,
1: uh, we got that wrong. Anyway.
0: And we did get the result correct for Man United versus Blackburn, but I don't think uh, we've beaten Loro or uh, Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. Boom.
1: Unless, actually, unless, uh, unless Arsenal win 3-1 tonight. Yeah,
0: so it's currently 1-0 to Arsenal. Um, but if um, if Arsenal win by a 3-1 scoreline, we could we nip level, in.
1: We level with everyone. I could think that's we? The, that's the,
0: the, well, that's the, what we're hoping for. 3-1. Ar- we need Sutton to score a goal desperately. <laughs> Next time, do you want to consult me on the old prediction? Yeah, uh, yes, so, we will. Yeah. To be honest, we wrote them down on uh, um, our hands uh, about two minutes before recording. Uh, we kind of forgot about that. We didn't actually put too much thought into our predictions.
2: We so. <laughs> kind of then looked at the smudges and were like, ooh,
0: yeah. three nil wolves."
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> right, that's the end of the podcast. Secretary Jack, please do the honours to title today's podcast.
1: In honour of Mauricio Pochettino's masterclass in tactics, I'm going to name this podcast Checkmate.
0: Very apt, very apt indeed. Well, it's been a bit of a bumper episode. We discussed the Spurs defeat. We also looked back at Nottingham Forest. Uh, gave our previews for the Bristol City and Cardiff games next week on Wednesday and Saturday, respectively. Uh, next week's podcast, uh, we're missing Farrell for the next two. Um, he's off to have a knee operation tomorrow, isn't it, Farrell?
2: Yeah, tomorrow afternoon. Good so, luck, Farrell. So uh, very
0: good luck good with luck that, luck, Farrell.
2: Yeah, so it's going to be a bit like when De Jagger got injured. This, The, the performances will start to slip I'm afraid over the next few weeks you just
0: yeah. sign for spoke by the way has he interesting uh, yeah you'll be a very great miss Farrell and hopefully the podcast won't suffer too much in your absence I will listen and enjoy and I'm not here next week so the good hosting ship is passed from myself to Mr Jack Collins nervous
1: I'm very nervous but I can't wait to get in the hot seat <laughs> we're gonna have so many listener questions hit me up it's gonna be great we're gonna
3: have all the sorts of fun aren't we Ben that's it, mate. It's, we're just going to do a full podcast of just for listeners of listener questions. Yeah. yeah, Don't worry about the result. Just interaction. Yeah. Plain just, interaction. Let's let's chat. Let's chat, listeners. Hit us up. We're gonna at do a mish pod. Gonna,
0: I'm really excited to listen to the podcast as a regular listener. And we're gonna
3: do an ASMR podcast where we talk. Just the whole way through very <laughs> close to well, what with relaxing headphones. beach
0: waves in behind
3: mm-hmm.
0: can't wait wow uh, and Ben's here next week <laughs> Dom will be around as well <laughs> things just got weird <laughs> things did just get weird uh, please go rate and review us on iTunes and share the podcast with anybody you like hope you enjoyed this week's episode Jack, Ben and Dom will be back next week we'll see you later goodbye
3: cheers, cheers.